Welcome to this Food Thing podcast. This is the place where we talk about our relationship with food, whether it is friend or foe, easy or less so, and how it affects our behavior. I'm so excited to introduce our first ever video course, the Creative Recovery Accelerator, or for ease, the CRA. What story do you tell yourself about your eating disorder? What feelings and emotions are you trying to avoid with your ED behaviors? How do you talk to your body? And what beliefs are you hanging on to to keep you where you are? The CRA will work on all ED and addictive behaviors. And wherever you are along your recovery journey, it will help you either stay on track, start or accelerate further. Make peace with yourself, shift your perspective and get well. I know how hard it is to let go of ED and addictive behaviors, which is why I've created the CRA, so we can help as many people as possible. Just visit lovethisfoodthing.com forward slash accelerator for all of the details. Here's today's episode. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. Today, I'm thrilled, thrilled to be joined and returned with Maria Guinazu. Guinazu, Guinazu. What is it, Maria? Guinazu. 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 I did this last time. So if anyone's listened to this podcast episode, I last spoke to Maria two years ago. They go, oh my God, she made the same mistake. No worries. Guinazu. Such All a beautiful it. name. <laughs> okay, so uh, G- Maria is a practitioner and an educator, and her previous podcast episode was in relation to the home body, which was about if your body spoke to you, what would it say? How the body can be and needs to be a safe place within which we live and retreat to. And her growing understanding of this concept helped her let go of her eating disorder behaviors and help her with her grief around her mum's passing. So happily, Maria is in a very different place today. She is doing her doctoral thesis, congratulations, on the embodied lived experience of male therapists. And she's working with or who are working with male clients with disordered eating behaviors. I think you're going to really have to clarify that for us. Mm -hmm. So she's currently writing her pilot study and she's going to be sharing her preliminary findings with us in this very underrepresented field of eating disorders and eating disorder behaviors. So I have stumbled through that, Maria. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. Hi, Gemma. How are you doing? It's great to see you. It's lovely to see you too. And I'm just apologizing in advance for the seagulls and the scaffolders. I'm surrounded by by scaffolders. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm in Brighton, so we also have seagulls. Ah, Okay, maybe we should just have like a soundtrack in the background. Yeah. Waves and waves and gulls. Waves (laughs) and gulls. (laughs) So yeah, so last time your your episode was extraordinary, how you'd how you were getting your life together. I know that since you have married which is lovely I think I've just mentioned that but that's such a sign isn't it such an indication of 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 healing and and being with another and sharing your life with someone and we spoke a lot about your work and about the home body and ah it's coming back to me I think we did a little bit of role playing didn't we and it was just it was lovely and I know that you're in a very as I've just said very very different place Mm -hmm. so if anyone wants to get to know Maria go back to when did we think it was did we think it was June 2021 I think so yeah I think so okay okay so you can go back to Maria's home body podcast episode this is a lot like a different tact and Mm -hmm. Maria just said to me 
that looking at the guests on the podcast, she feels that there is an underrepresentation for men. And she's absolutely right. It's much easier to get women to step forward than it is for men. I mean, there it is. That's my experience. So, you know, take take it from there. What what would you like to say about that in particular, Maria? Yeah. So I think a good place to start is to start thinking what you have just said around how, in a way, for all the good reasons, historically, eating disorders has had a very um, female lens. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to, you know, how the female body has been objectified, you know, and we can get really political talking about that. And and I think there's so much feminist literature around that, which is incredible. Right. Great. So when I was doing my research, you know, you get to year two and then you need to start kind of crafting your proposal. And as you know, I have, I'm, I'm very interested in this topic. It's close to my heart. It's also being Argentinian, you know, there is, yeah. um, it's a very, it's, sadly, it's, it's, an, it's a problem, it's an issue. Yeah. And uh, so, so I kind of started looking at, you know, what's the gap in the literature? And that's, I have an incredible supervisor that if she would like to listen to this, I have only have to say that she's been amazing. I feel so lucky because she helped me to sort of think about the original, the creative part of this project. So then we start, I started looking and there's so much research around the female experience. However, there is still something about focusing a lot of like the cognitive side of it. And I think we talk a little bit about CBT last time that we spoke mm-hmm. and how, you know, it's kind of in a way it's look at like evidence base. However, there's all this element about the embodiment, the body, you know, yeah. and how we can include that in the treatment, in the treatment of um, eating disorders. So that's where I started. But then I also started looking at like people like Susie Olberg, who I, if you're Susie Olberg? Yeah. That is a feminist issue. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she was a massive inspiration for me to sort of thinking about right. how to bring the body. But again, I was, if I had to sort of done the same thing, it would have been replicated a little bit her work. Okay. <laughs> and, and then, you know, because um, she's, she's, she's doing it, she's done it and it's just, she's incredible. Yeah. And, um, and then I thought, well, what, what about, what about the male experience? And then I started, started looking, you know, around, um, the, the experience for a male person around eating disorders. And I realized that there's very, very little, there is so much stigma around it. Because firstly, male, te- and I'm thinking about like, you know, generally speaking, but there is something about feeling that, again, that men said, I, this is a female problem, you know. So they, in a way, not recognize it, the, 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 the severity of the issue and the importance of like seeking out to reaching out and say like what's going on here what's going on about my relationship with food and then looking at like all the social discourses around like masculinity mm. what does it mean to be to have a masculine body mm-hmm. what has to have um because because the experience is very different from a female perspective it's not around being thin and skinny no. it's about being muscular it's about being strong and big yeah. and big and visible and it's, visible yeah mm-hmm. so so then looking at like all that research I started finding like mm, it's very interesting around like all the differences and how little we know about like how male actually experience this eating disorder 
And the reason why I put on my title, you know, eating disorder a behavior as opposed to eating disorder, it's because I try to sort of include people that they have a disordered eating, but they haven't had a formal diagnosis. Can I just interrupt? Yeah, sure. I have started to use eating disorder behaviours rather than eating disorders because Mm -hmm. I personally feel that to say someone has an eating disorder, of course, that's very helpful for the eating disorder establishment, if you like. Mm -hmm. I also feel that it pigeonholes people and then you become this thing. I am bulimic, I am anorexic, I am orthorexic, I am whatever. And actually you're not, you are manifesting whatever your distress is with behaviours. So I just wanted to fly the flag there and say, I've tried very hard to say eating disorders and eating disorder behaviours because you are not that syndrome. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And it's important for people to know the difference between the two of them. Yeah. And of course, you know, we know that an eating disorder behavior could lead to a formal diagnosis. Yeah. But not necessarily. And and like you yeah. said, we have to also be really aware of like the labels, the thing that you were talking. Yeah. Um, and how stigmatizing that could be, especially in the context of, because I, I, I want to make sure that I stay with the male experience, right? Yes, let's do it. I'm going to be quiet now. Carry on. (laughs) You're great. I promise. No, I'm not going to say anything else. (laughs) No, it's just because, you know, to see, like, um, there is is also, you know, like, very, very little around, like, again, you know, how how they experience it, what's actually happening in their body, what are the social discourses say about them? And they tend to struggle in silence because we also know that they don't sort of share, would share with, with professionals, with their peers, with their family members. So there's something really important about um, understanding that a little bit more. And even though, you know, it is growing because we know that now literature says that 33% of people that experience eating, dis- um, eating disorders are male. 33%? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it, yeah. you, what's, what's the age range? Do you know? It's, it's very similar to the male, to the female experience in that sense. It's from young age, starts, okay. especially when they're teenagers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This concept of comparison of going to the gym and like you said, being big, being strong. And that makes them like more masculine, more um, um, a man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, um, boys, teenager boys that they don't, they don't have that sort of physique, that structure. They feel less than, less man. Yeah. Right. Less than man. Wow. How, and that triggers a whole thing, right? About identity, about sense of self, about kind of, um, the, the kind of relationship with the body, with themselves and with the others. Okay. So, um, my kind of, I, the, the way that I kind of structure in my research project is also coming from a, a philosophical lens. Ah. And um, and I've been, so my literature review is, is looking a lot at three philosophers, especially mm-hmm. Merleau-Ponty, who is, who was a French philosopher, a phenomenologist as well, and looking at like the embodied experience. Yeah. How does the, it- The what experience? Say that again. The embodied. The embodied experience. Okay. A little bit what we discussed last time about, yeah. you know, my, my body in this world, but coming from his lens as in, I'm a body, you know, right, as right. opposed to I have a body. Yeah. Okay. And then, then I also look at like Jean Paul Sartre, if you, I don't know, I don't have this 
Yeah, no, Jackson, Sartre. Sartre. No, it's brilliant. <laughs> I, was, I was instantly in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like um, in a cafe. Yeah. Um, smoking yeah. a cigar. Gita, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no stereotypes here. <laughs> exactly. And he talks a lot about how the gaze of the other objectify us, you know. Okay, yeah. Which, which to me that goes a lot around social media, yeah, that talks a lot about, you know, what we've been talking a little bit about how how male feel that they're being seen by the other, how they're being seen by especially other male family members, but also female as well. That's in, also, do you know a guy called John Berger who did a very famous... A TV series, yeah, called yeah. The Ways of Seeing and the book Ways of Seeing, and it was through through art and how women have been objectified and how, yeah, have you, I'm sure you've seen that. I I advise anyone to go on YouTube and watch John Berger's Ways of Seeing because it's seminal. Yeah, I said I was going to be quiet. Go on, carry on. John Paul Sartre, yeah, that's a great resource. Yeah, um, and he talks a lot about this. Yeah, like how the gaze of the other objectifies and how we kind of immediately by being looked by the other, we become an object. Mm -hmm. And, and our kind of like self-representation kind of like vanishes in the air and we see ourselves through the eyes of the other. Right, right, right. And he sees it with, he has a quite negative, put in a very simplistic way, a quite negative kind of representation, right? Because the other could also make us feel empowered. It could also be inspiring, right? And that's the bit that I always feel like, well, not, not all the case, but I think for this particular um, issue, I think it goes really, really nicely understanding it from that philosophical lens and how that in a way kind of kind of influences our existence in the world, to put it very in a very existential term. Yeah. Um, and then the third one that I use, that I use is like uh, Michel Foucault, who talks a lot about how the social discourses, in a way, have power over our own bodies. Yeah. And how and the power the society, you know, the institutions, the messages, they have all this massive power over us to tell us like this is what we should be doing. This is what we should be like. This is how a man should look like to be attractive, to feel attractive, to feel worthy, to feel also successful. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing about being success, um, the, th the theme about success, I think is very interesting from a, from a male perspective and the pressure that they feel around that. Mm. Particularly in the Western world. I keep exactly. talking about this every single podcast episode. I'm talking about capitalism, but to be successful, to be the top of the tree, to be earning the most money, to have the exactly. best family, to have the best everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a feeling that they have a good, a good salary. You know? yeah. yeah. And all this kind of pressure, sometimes we don't, we don't talk a lot about them because it's quite shaming. And in a way, this, what, what male, what men have sort of in a way learned is to sort of in a very kind of a very simplistic suck it up yeah, and just deal with it and yeah. just, you know, and just, you know, the, the typical thing, man up. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, and, yeah. Go on. Yeah. And, and that creates so much trauma, you know, um, in the, like, um, within themselves and their stories and then how in a way that those kind of wounds also impact the way that they relate with with women the way that they relate with other men I've always thought 
because I'm just thinking of little boys now and how <laughs> we bring little boys up. And that's very much how little boys are brought up, isn't it? To be yeah. a man and, and you know, yeah. let's say 70, 80 years ago, boys were very much brought up to man up and then go go to war, you know, and look after the country. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about, I, I always think that little boys are more vulnerable than little girls. Mm-hmm. I think girls are much more uh, able and tenacious. And, uh, Interesting. Just why how, why do you know, think that? I would just from what I've witnessed from my in my own family and oh. friends, kids, and how the little boy will need his mum or his in a different way than from what I've seen than than a little girl. I mean, it's just you know I couldn't put loads of it's not in loads of empirical ed- evidence, but yeah, I love that. It's just yeah. what I've seen. I just think there's a certain vulnerability that gets squashed out, and I think that's Excellent. maybe that's what's yeah. And then with girls, it gets encouraged because yeah. We're going to take a quick break. I've just, oh, I've just yeah. completely broken my promise not to say anything. Ah, oh, the girls are back in the background going, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> they keep waking me up at like quarter to four in the morning. It's terrible. Oh, welcome back to Love This Feeling Podcast. I'm here with Maria. We've just found out a little bit about how Maria started her study. The three philosophies that she's using, like the Holy Triumvirate, which is, uh, just sounds really interesting. The lens with which the male body and men are seen and what they have to aspire to. You too. And in the introduction, Maria, mm-hmm. I read the bit about, um, so your doctoral thesis, explain this to me. You're doing your doctoral thesis on the mm-hmm. embodied lived experience mm-hmm. of male therapists working with male clients with disordered eating behaviours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, so basically, this is something important to, to talk about. Because mm. I've, I've very, I was very naive and I thought, like, I just want to interview them, you know, the client. Why not? Like, you just want to get it from, like, you know, from the person. Yeah. And, but there is something about... Um, research especially in this area because those are considered vulnerable people you know and and there's something there is an ethical responsibility and an ethical issue of me kind of like interviewing these people and then thinking like could I just cause more harm Ah, because it's not therapy here it's just me being a researcher an in, uh, an interviewer and then and they sort of basically answering questions. Yeah, and these questions could sort of in a way open up a whole new world for them. So that's when like my the ethics board were would have been like, no, sorry, you know, right. because these people are vulnerable and you are in a position of power. Yeah, you are you are a therapist. You're also a researcher, so they're going to feel like oh. So that's when that's when when my my supervisor said it's it's better to interview the therapist experience. Fascinating. And you're looking at like the clinical practice, and you're looking at from their own lens. Um, you know, like research says that it's quite like this client group is quite tricky to work with. As in, the male client is tricky, or in the male general, therapist in general, like male therapy and therapists in general yeah. have reported have reported finding this particular client group quite tricky. I was going to say that some that therapists in general are tricky because I've <laughs> <laughs> I've interviewed a few on this podcast. I'm like, okay, here we go. 
<laughs> you know that's so interesting that you say that you say that because I just keep talking that with my with my colleagues. Like we are very complex people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yes. Okay, yes, both. Back, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the. So okay. So this is quite a, a challenging group. Yeah. Yeah, because mainly, and again, most of the reports come from uh, from female clients. Uh-huh. What female therapists have said, um, even though they have in a way sort of extended it to like eating disorders. But if you get really sort of picky, it comes from female therapists, most of the reports talking about their female clients. Right. And they said that the nature of the, the eating disorder, it's egocentric, which basically means that the person struggles to see why they will change these habits why they would just um, um, in like you know in a very simplistic way saying it why would I get rid of my eating disorder yeah because actually it makes me feel good it makes me feel skinny so that's when the motivation it's a little bit of an issue and that's why the the statistics when it comes to like looking at like the dropout rates is quite high when we look at eating disorders and that's but you're talking particularly for females here. Yeah, because that's that's mainly what the report right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, so then there is there is something about you know the the the, the therapist experience that they feel burnt out, they feel yeah. ill because they kind of say like I'm not actually helping this person. You know the relation. You know a lot of therapists these days like to work relationally. What does it mean that when they put the focus of the relationship as the core of the work? Yeah. And which which research says again and again that no matter the approach that you use, either psychodynamic, humanistic, person-centered, existential, the relationship is what heals. What yes, helps 100%. If you yeah. don't have the right therapist, it ain't going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So that's something, you know, like um, therapists are not feeling like, oh my God, I'm just, I'm, I just feel like I'm a rubbish therapist. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that's when, you know, I started kind of, th- that's how we started my interest in the therapist experience. And then again, very little accounts about male therapists. We just don't understand what's happening in that room between a male therapist and a male client with the disordered eating. Because what we understand from a female perspective of what's happening in the room is that a lot of female therapists have reported being scrutinized, being assessed, being mm. looked at by their, their female female, uh, mainly female clients. So an example would be like, oh, you're so skinny. Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, look at your clothes. So there's yeah. something about their bodies all the time being kind of in a very looked at. So that's why Susie Orbach, what I really like, she talks about having an auxiliary body that the therapists have to, when she, when they enter into the therapy room, they have to embody it an auxiliary body, which basically means a body that could allow the client to feel grounded, to feel centered, to feel safe mm. and to get a non-judgmental space. Yeah. So I think that's, that's really important, but again, very little from the male perspective. So we just don't know how male therapists who work with this client group feel about that. And whether like what I have just said about being scrutinized, being judged, if it happens in the same, if it happens at the same time, when we talk about this male encounter. So I think I took a lot there. (laughs) 
No, I'm just thinking about it because I'm thinking maybe one day the gender won't even be an issue, but we're certainly, certainly not there yet, despite the discussions going on at the moment. I'm thinking, I'm thinking back to my own therapy days and I'm remembering one therapist I had. Mm -hmm. Actually, she said to me, she said, and I was trying very hard to get better and she was terrific, but she said to me, you are my last client with eating disorders because I just cannot do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's really powerful that she shared that with you. Yeah, isn't it? And I think... Do you know what though? Because I was quite sick, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, that's quite oh. cool. Get me, you know? <laughs> I'm oh. so, so ill. I'm just thinking, and then I had a male therapist who I saw for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, okay, with your study, as you were looking for your male therapist treating your male, treating their male clients with disordered eating, did you also come across female therapists treating male clients? Yeah, it, yeah, but that they was weren't more, relevant. Yeah, I just have that was a little bit of my um, exclusion criteria that they call it. Yeah. So how yeah. did you? So okay, how did you find your male therapist? Very difficult. Gemma. I'm sure it was extremely difficult. And I remember watching one of your episodes with uh, with what with a personal trainer from the TRX. Oh, what Nico or Jay? Yeah, rem- Nico. Oh, yeah. That yeah. you were asking, and I remember him saying. I hope I remember it well. He remembers saying something along the lines that he doesn't get clients with disordered eating. That's not kind of the thing that he... Yeah, I remember Nico saying that. Yeah, so I was, I remember watching, I was like, yeah, that's that's spot on because I contact, I mean, I contact so many organizations, you know, um, I put a lot of posters here and there and it was very difficult, but it happened that I need, because it's a qualitative study, yep. it happened that I needed six people. Right. And I was very lucky that the six people saw my posters, my things on LinkedIn, and they were like, yes, Maria, we uh, need more of this mail accounts. I'm happy to put myself forward. Amazing. And can I ask you, without uh, you yeah, know, yeah. crossing any boundaries here, can I ask you, were they from... Uh, NHS? Were they private? Was there a mixture? Are they psychotherapists? Yeah, all psychotherapists. That was like, yeah. I mean, they have, and they have to be registered with like, you know, all this like uh, fancy, fancy boards. So you get <laughs> What you mean qualified? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, then there is this kind of ethical responsibility of like, they have to be experienced, they have to be in clinical supervision. Right. Because even though we talk about their clinical practice. Yeah again something might might have arise within them that you're like oh maybe there's something here that I need to sort of discuss with my supervisor mm-hmm. or my therapist but you know mm-hmm. when you when you get to a certain point in your career you don't really need to do personal therapy all the time yeah, yeah. that's more like an optional thing but you re- but you must be in supervision had your male psychotherapists had disordered eating behaviors mm-hmm. in their lives interestingly it was, it was not, they, um, most of them didn't report a disordered eating behavior. Okay. You know, that was very, very interesting. It was, it was a lot of like being, being, being quite self-conscious about, about, um, their appearance, being aware that they're also influenced by the social discourses. Because one thing to be aware is that when you think about the therapy room, you have these two people and even though there is a power imbalance, the therapist is still being influenced by like what's happening in the world. It's still influenced by social media. Yeah. But but 
Interestingly, the therapists that put themselves forward, and probably that's the reason why they put themselves forward, they didn't report it, at least at present, any disordered eating behaviour. How wonderful. And, yeah. oh, okay, so what were your findings? What were you, what were you looking for in, yeah. that, in that generic male therapist? Okay, so I can tell <laughs> She's you... She's going through all her papers here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually made notes, so I don't forget. Oh, thank because, you. No, it's okay, because, um, again, you know, like, I just want to be with this a preliminary um, result. result. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I still yeah, haven't yeah. gathered the whole... I have collected all my data, but I still haven't sort of, like, analysed all the, um, the transcript because qualitative research you think six participants but I promise you Gemma it's a lot of work uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 no we're just and we've only got like 45 minutes anyway so we can't yeah. um so yeah so one on. of the things you know that it was quite interesting mm. is like the therapist reported this idea of wanting to give the clients in a very simple term a wake-up call ah what is it like? Please, don't you see what I see? You know, I see that you are you're a handsome person. You're you 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 you're kind. You know, you're, yeah. you're nice. You you have like this. Um, there's a lot of goodness there that you're not seeing, and that was something that I noticed in all my participants. This kind of like, please, can you just not see this? Do you know? Can I? I'm yeah. just thinking. I wonder if I wonder if a, a female therapist would say. Oh, I wanted to put an arm around them or I wanted to take care yeah. of them because yeah. I think, or my experience is that people with eating disorder behaviors, eating disorders, whatever, elicit within me, I want to shake them yeah. because I wanted to shake myself. Exactly. And th there are those moments, aren't there, when you do wake up and you can go, come on. Can you not see what's going on here? So I don't know what, yes, go on, go on. That's so exciting. Okay, a, yeah. a, a wake yeah. up call. Okay. Yeah, no, and it's exactly what you're saying about like women. Um, but, but interestingly, um, there was something, none of them reported feeling scrutinized by their clients. Like like female report like females, um, sorry, female therapists have reported in the past. Because, is that because men don't experience the female gaze in that way and so they don't feel objectified by mm -hmm. women. Yeah, okay. And um, so, and one of the themes that came up like so, so strongly, which it made me so excited to be honest with you, Gemma, is yeah. that like these therapists, all of them being so committed to the feeling of like, I want to give permission to this male client, regardless if we're talking about eating, eating, eating disorder, addiction, whatever, yeah. trauma, to give permission to be vulnerable, to show, to be permission to cry, wow. to be permission to talk about like, you know, they're addicted. Um, one of the therapists was telling to me, like one of this client that he was talking about had this addiction to porn, you know, and the, all, yeah. and the whole, the whole kind of, shame around like how this client was obsessed with all those male bodies in that that you see when you watch porn yeah of course so there was all this thing about like having this obsession with like I want to have that body I want to and the shame around that so I think there is a lot around like well the thing that they say all of them trying to model a healthier way to embody their masculinity so they try to sort of, in a way, model something new to them. I'm really struck by mm -hmm. the response of the male therapist mm -hmm. giving permission for the 
their clients' vulnerability. And I'm really struck by um, our lack of elders in society mm. and our mm. our wise people and those voices because mm, I really can't think of them, you know, off the top of my head. But that tradition of, of uh, okay, let's take the father figure. Yeah. Passing down the information and, and teaching the son generically. Exactly about mm-hmm. life and what it is to be generically a man and to be potent, et cetera. And it's all a bit distorted and confused, isn't it? So I'm really struck by that lack and how beautiful it is that that's what they wanted to give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this kind of thing about like, can I can, can I just, because, you know, as therapists, we, are, we, can, we can in a way model something new, you know, in the room and how in a way all of them said like, can I... Can I just model something different to this man? And can I just model a different way to, again, because my my research project has a strong kind of component of the embodiment, you know, the, these yep. two male bodies in the room. Yeah. How they can also, in a way, show a different relationship with their bodies and how would that look like in relationship, you know, experience that whilst being with this therapist. So I think that was really extremely powerful and that's really promising of, A, because it's really exciting to see that more male therapist. Also, I just want to say that um, I'm the idea was looking at like therapists that they identify themselves as male. Hmm? Yeah. You know, therapists that identify themselves as male. Yeah. How beautiful is that they're like, they're, they're choosing this career probably as a second career and they want to sort of create spaces for for other males to say like let's let's talk about like what's going on let's talk about your relationship with food let's talk about your relationship with your body let's talk about how you're embodying your your you know yourself in this yeah. world and let's talk about the vulnerability and how fragile you feel when you see this perfect inverted commas male body Yeah, that's amazing. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm just going to pick up from where we were about that embodiment of the the male body. That's completely gone out of my head what I was going to say, Maria. Um, I'm just thinking about, we were talking about vulnerability. No, you keep going and it will come back to me. Um, And then there is something quite interesting that came up in one of my one of my uh, participants is also um, the thing about like, you know, like I said, all of them work in a very relational way, in a very conversational way, you know, and kind of thinking about this co-creation, not being, you know, the expert, you know, and the the student in that way. Yeah. And, um, and there was something really interesting that came up that one of, one of them, this participant said to me, like, my client asked me, like, how old are you? And there was something that the, the therapist experienced of like, Ooh, right. what about, what about if, if I say my age, this person might think that I'm not looking good, you know, that, I look, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I'm a bit old, like, oh, he's not doing all right here, <laughs> you know. Um, so again, I think even though that's, you know, we're not talking about, you know, purging, we're talking about restrictive eating, but we're talking about the gaze of the other. Yeah. Um, a little bit, we're talking about elders, like this idea of like the aging body. And that was something that came up in like the, in the therapist saying like, oh, I'm, 
I felt, I feel assessed and I felt like, am I going to be judged? And, and I think that was a very interesting thing that he decided to say, he, he just basically said his age. He did. He decided yeah. to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he said, if I would have said, which is another, it's an approach in a more psychodynamic, I would say, that there was like, hmm, I wonder what, what, what does it mean for you? That, that sometimes it breaks the relationship. Ah. It's non-relational. Yeah. So, so the therapist set the age and then the, and the clients are like, oh, we're kind of like similar generation. So in a way it took a completely different turn because they then started talking about common share experiences, you know, in right. the seventies. Right. And they started talking about Wonder Woman, which I found it fascinating. Yeah. Because, you know, Wonder Woman is, you know, it's Wonder Woman, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, no, no. She, tur- she turns around and she twirls in her cape and she's Wonder Woman. Yeah, brilliant. And her, and if we think about from her body, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so again, that's another, that's an example that portrays very clearly how vulnerable and how fragile the therapist felt that in that moment. I've remembered what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. And then we, it's very quick and then we can move on. Okay, I'm going to put it out there. I think men need to spend time with men. 100%. And I think women need to spend time with women. Mm-hmm. Do you and I think, no, no, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I yeah. agree. There's yeah, yeah, something yeah. about um, a little bit a little bit what you're saying around like, yeah, it would be great to to move beyond like genders, but there is just something about that experience. Yeah. That that it could be really healing. And yeah. and I do think that me being like here, my role as a female researcher has also been incredible because I have been in this kind of like not knowing stance, um, uh, Gemma. Yeah. And yeah. like, like for me, because you know when you do qualitative research, you have to be very, very careful that you're like what's what, what what are you bringing here your biases your assumptions you know bringing your own experience because let's face it we're all the time bringing our own stories in every single encounter of course so so i think that for me being a female researcher looking at this 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 encounter between these two my bodies have been a truly experience for me to embody like how does it feel not knowing anything wow you know, like being like you know, when I've been transcribing the, the, the um, you know, the audience, I've been like, what? You know, never thought that in my life. We, and I think about me as a, as a practitioner, never had experience with another client like that. And I think that's really, I think that's, I have to say thank you to my supervisor there. <laughs> I don't, I cannot take credit for that idea. <laughs> well, no, but you're doing, you're doing the spade work, aren't you? You're doing the rest of it. So what would you say, because we're, you know, we've got a little bit of time left. What would you say is your major or your main kind of takeaway at this stage? Is that too difficult to answer? I think it's going back to um, this idea of creating spaces for this male client's to reach out, to ask for help, to go to therapy, you know, and being allowed either by, um, in this case where it's like, it just happened to be a male therapist, but being allowed and being given permission to understand, to make sense, to integrate 
this experience of struggling with an, with the disorder with um eating disorder behavior or with an eating disorder do you think do you think that the mm, i know you're we're talking about the male therapist but do you think that actually what's going on with the male clients with eating disorder behaviors okay might be different narratives uh, a different gaze objectification etc but what's going on is managing the same emotion, feeling out of control, feeling not good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they're human beings in the end, right? Exactly, exactly. And I wonder if one day we'll have the conversation where we talk about managing our emotions and we won't talk about, as we started at the beginning, bulimia, anorexia, orthorexia. And what we'll be talking about is like, how do young men deal with their uh, feelings of, um, I don't know, impotence, Look at what's that guy called? Oh, let's not get yeah. distracted. I'm not going to go down that route. How do young women deal with their feelings of rage? You know, how does, as a collective, how do we deal with these emotions in a constructive way without destroying ourselves or destroying someone else? And I wonder if one day the conversation, that's what we, the, will be the conversation. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's, that's, that's a really exciting thing that you have just said. And I do hope also that um, that this space is going to also help us understand a little bit more, you know, the um, the pain that men also experience. Yeah, you know, and and also to kind of understand that a little bit more. And and I also have to say, um, I know that we were about to finish, but I just also got really really excited about this project because I've been working in. Um, in a in a program with the Sussex Police ah. supporting um they call it high harm perpetrators of domestic violence. Wow, wow, good for you. But, and it's very, very, very complex cases of like working with men saying like this is the first time that they're talking about the, their feelings. You know, this is the first time they're talking about their relationships with like their own trauma, their own past. Uh, their relationship with their bodies, their relationship with food, addictions. So I do think like I also have to sort of kind of say thank you to all those men, you know, that allowed me to sort of kind of, that, that they also express their vulnerability, you know, oh. that they have cried in the room with me. Oh, you're going to make me cry. That's so lovely. Yeah. And, uh, and even though, you know, they're offenders and I don't, and they have done horrible things, but allowing, but for me, kind of say it like, let's just explore this so you don't carry on doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know? uh, because ultimately, of course, we want to protect, you know, the victim. We want to protect, you know, children. But we also want to say, can, can we spend some time and, and understand what's going on here? And like you said, what's going on with your emotions? Um. So I think... I think that's that's an area that really excites me, and I do hope we can make therapy, mental health, career making accessible to like everyone. One of the most there's a couple of things I've never shared this before. It hasn't been relevant, but when I, I don't need to say it, but I did a kind of closed tantra group for oh, okay. I don't know quite a few years, and oh. it was one of the major healing components for me not only was the work that I did in that tantra group, was witnessing huh? the male vulnerability. Mm. It completely changed me at a very, very deep level. Oh, I would also, yeah, I would also go as far as to say that the men were more vulnerable than the women. 
And what will happen mm. is that as the men were more vulnerable, the women's, and I'm not talking about strength as in I'm going to hit that wall and it's going to break, the more kind of that female essence, that strength and that vitality would come through. And the more that's able to come through in a loving, positive way, the more men mm-hmm. were able to be vulnerable because they didn't have to carry it all. 100%. I mean, that's yeah, very generous, very it. but it was extraordinary. Yeah, that male vulnerability was absolutely extraordinary. And just how men wanted to be touched was completely different from how I imagined they wanted to be touched and what they wanted. And yeah, yeah, that's a whole oh, new series. One other thing before we go, because mm-hmm. we're both on a time limit here, and we're going to stop at 45 minutes. Do you think it's helpful? I think it's, I find it helpful to view the body as being an impermanent and a vehicle for yeah. us as we travel through this phase of our life. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So that, and that brings like agency yeah. and responsibility. Yes. And what do we want to make out? Yeah. How, how do we want to live this life using this body? And I think um, that, that opens up a whole new world for us to, understand truly understand what is this thing about like mind and body you know we hear it a lot of the time Mm. but actually what does it mean you know and I think that is that that is like really really exciting and we and to be honest with you there's so many incredible authors out there looking at like this think about like I mean my favorite is Peter Levine and I think like his work around somatic experiencing Mm. And this takes me back to our previous podcast has been the most like healing, healing thing that I have ever done, you know, and I, I strongly recommend your readers to check Peter Levine's, uh, Peter Levine's work because he's extraordinary. What's the, what's the name of his book that you're thinking? Um, so, so he's, so he developed a whole, a whole approach called somatic experience. Okay, okay. A, a book that I really like is in an, in an unspoken voice. Okay. And he also wrote his most famous one is waking up the tiger. Ah, okay. Okay. We're now at 45 minutes. I feel like I, do you need to say anything else? I think we're going to have to come no, back in a year just... and tell us more. Um, Thank you so much. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. And I do not, I can't let you go. I'm going to have to say, just rattle off five favourite foods for an island. Just rattle them off. <laughs> um, okay, like a margarita. Okay, you yeah, know, yeah. Very, uh, kind of being very true to my Italian heritage. <laughs> um, I would say... Um, I just really like, you know, my partner gets like, you know, Mackey's, the ice cream? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Margarita, Mackey's, the ice cream. Yes, Mackey's, yes. <laughs> then, then I really like, um, I, I really like blueberries. Blueberries. You know, like all the berries. Yeah. Um, two more. Two more, two more. Ginger beer. Yeah, could that be? yeah, yeah. Uh, and then um, I would say um, my friend's Beth. Potatoes. <laughs> Fabulous. Maria. They're incredible. Amazing. They're just incredible. What, what does, okay, look, we're not even going to talk about the potatoes because we've got to go. Maria, thank you so much for coming back on and we will we will catch up with you in the not-too-distant future. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gemma. Take care. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Love This Food Thing. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Instagram, at Love This Food Thing, or you can head to our website, lovethisfoodthing.com. Join our community. Everyone's welcome. 
Catch you in the next episode. 